Uh, hello, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to introduce uh, Stephen Leach. He's uh, visiting us from uh, Memorial, Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, and he's um, uh, here to visit as um, for the Cancer Center Director position. Um, he's uh, David M. Rubenstein, Chair and Director of Memorial Sloan Kettering's um, Center uh, for Pancreatic Cancer Research, and um, he graduated magna cum laude from Princeton, uh, and he's uh, still interacting quite a bit with Princeton, so, um, which is, um, he's subsequently received his uh, MD degree from Emory and completed general surgery training at Yale, and at Yale he also completed a two-year postdoctoral research fellowship in, in pancreatic cell biology, uh, following a, an additional fellowship in surgical oncology at uh, MD Anderson. He joined uh, the Vanderbilt faculty as an assistant professor in 1995. And uh, before his move to Sloan Kettering, he served as professor of surgery, oncology, and cell biology, and the inaugural uh, Paul K. Newman professor in pancreatic cancer at Johns Hopkins. Uh, he served as a PI on multiple um, NIH grants, R01s, P01, S10, and T32. So he's covered uh, uh, the breadth of research and uh, surgical activities. He's currently co-editor-in-chief of uh, Current Opinion in Genetics and Development. Um, and uh, you can see his talk is Immune Modulation of Pancreatic uh, Cancer for Better or Worse. Uh, there's no CMA credits uh, for today's talk, and um, uh, welcome to those who are joining us remotely. Uh, and uh, one other com announcement is that uh, there is a request uh, that people who would like to um, invite a speaker for the stu student representatives, uh, please do that by March 10th, to Itzel Roja, uh, John Hines, or Catherine von Herman. This uh, will be the, the last, I think it's June 6th, is that what it is, uh, for the speaker? June 13th. So um, anyway, this is an opportunity for students to nominate someone. So uh, thank you so much for uh, coming, and we are Great. quite delighted. Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate uh, the introduction. I appreciate you all uh, be, being here, seeing all, all these different uh, faces from different backgrounds R reminds me of you know, one of the reasons why I'm especially attracted to this position, and that's because I think more than, it, more than in, in, uh, any other cancer center that I've been familiar with, this cancer center seems especially well integrated into the larger uh, uh, School of Medicine, the, me the, the medical center, and indeed the entire college. And it's also clearly highly, highly valued by all those entities as a, a critical component of, of the larger institution. So that's really important to me, and I'd, I'd like to thank uh, you all for, for coming. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about some um, work that I'm not qualified to discuss because I'm not an immunologist, um, but we have recently come across a couple interesting stories, one published and one, and, and one that's really still evolving and hot off the press regarding uh, the role of the immune system in both accelerating and potentially in retarding uh, human um, pancreatic cancer. And um, this is a, a, a departure uh, for, for my lab as historically my lab has actually been a very basic uh, biology lab where we've studied basic tumor biology. We've also studied you know, very basic developmental biology and developmental genetics, and we've done that in, in both mouse and zebrafish. And the premise there was that we could use, um, we could gain insight into the genes and signaling pathways that are dysregulated in pancreatic cancer by defining their function in embryonic uh, systems. So for instance, we came across in one of our early um, uh, profiling e efforts, um, evidence of notch pathway activation in human pancreatic cancer. And um, uh, not having the resources at, 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 at the time to make a deep dive into that in terms of making new gene-targeted mice and, and the like, um, we, we took a developmental biology approach and we defined uh, these notch-active progenitors in the, in the pancreas in both, in both zebrafish and this core of undifferentiated progenitors in um, 
in uh, the embryonic mouse pancreas, and subsequently showed that the role of notch in human pancreatic cancer is to drive de-differentiation events that return the epithelium to an embryonic-like state that facilitates neoplastic uh, transformation. But then when I moved and started, uh, uh, when I moved to Sloan Kettering three years ago to launch a new pancreatic cancer research center, um, I kind of intentionally pivoted uh, in a more uh, translational direction, and that's the work I'm going to tell you about uh, today. So this is the problem. Pancreatic cancer has become a major public health problem, and that uh, is very clear to many of you uh, here who are aware of the great pancreatic cancer program um, here at, at DH. Um, and for reasons we don't completely understand, uh, the incidence of uh, pancreatic cancer is rising. It's related uh, probably most directly to the increase in obesity, which is a major fact risk factor for pancreatic cancer. And it just passed um, breast cancer to uh, become the uh, third leading cause of cancer death. And by 2020, it's projected to pass colorectal uh, uh, cancer to become second only to lung cancer as a cause of cancer death in this country and other Western uh, societies. So it's a major uh, a public health problem. And our uh, approach to pancreatic cancer is largely um, at least historically, focused on early events, trying to understand the earliest events in pancreatic uh, neoplasia in order to gain insight into molecular mechanisms and possible strategies to uh, disrupt this process. And so um, pancreatic cancer is thought to form through the stepwise progression of pre-invasive lesions known as pancreatic intraepithelial neoplasia, or, or PANIN. And so these PANINs uh, accumulate with a progressively increasing grade, pro progressively increasing nuclear atypia, uh, and go through a sequence from PANIN 1, PANIN 2, to PANIN 3, which is essentially carcinoma in situ. And uh, this culminates in, in pancreatic cancer. And when we say pancreatic cancer, there are lots of different flavors of pancreatic cancer, neuroendocrine uh, tumors, um, uh, pancreatic blastomas. Um, but far and away, uh, the most common uh, uh, flavor of pancreatic cancer is what we call pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. And it's both the most common form of pancreatic cancer and the most uh, deadly. And it's so named because of its uh, resemblance to ductal epithelium. And this, um, this uh, stepwise progression it has been felt to uh, represent uh, a stepwise accumulation of uh, associated genetic change with four big drivers uh, in, in human and pancreatic cancer. 95% um, uh, of human pancreatic cancer is characterized by activating mutations in the KRAS proto-oncogene, um, and uh, we also see um, a tumor suppressor gene uh, inactivation uh, of, of P16, CDN2A, uh, uh, of uh, P53, um, and SMAD4. And there's also a very interesting significant incidence of mutation in, in epigenetic uh, regulators in the SNF uh, family that cumulatively are also very frequently mutated in this disease. The other thing I want to um, in, inter, introduce, uh, another feature about pancreatic cancer that I want to introduce is perhaps more than any other cancer, it's dependent on incredibly robust interactions between the malignant epithelial cells and the tumor microenvironment. So pancreatic cancer is typically associated with a very exuberant um, uh, fibro-inflammatory reaction, the accumulation of so-called desmoplastic stroma, um, um, the, uh, the accumulation of, of connective tissue, of activated fibroblasts, of uh, immune cells, in, inflammatory cells. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes as little as 10% of total tumor volume will actually be occupied by the malignant uh, epithelial uh, component. So clearly uh, this is an issue that has, um, has begun to finally receive uh, uh, the attention it deserves in terms of um, uh, a window onto pancreatic cancer biology and a potential additional axis for um, therapeutic 
manipulation. So as I said, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, two stories today related to the, uh, the tumor microenvironment, specifically um, uh, uh, immune cell participation in uh, pancreatic cancer. And one is um, I'm going to tell you a, a previously published story about a hematopoietic to epithelial uh, signaling access in pancreatic cancer that involves IL-17. Um, and the second story I'm going to tell you is some very recent work where we've uh, begun to interrogate whether um, an unmanipulated immune system plays any role in the regulation of pancreatic cancer and how that relates to the landscape of mutational um, neoepitopes. So uh, a lot of this work has been conducted in, in the mouse, and we use uh, genetic uh, uh, systems for inducing pancreatic cancer in, in, in the mouse. Um, sometimes this is referred to as um, a KPC mouse uh, by, by virtue of use of uh, alleles for KRAS, um, in some instances P53, and a Cree driver line. Unlike um, most um, uh, other efforts, uh, we've not activated uh, KRAS in the entire epithelium, but rather we've selectively activated it in specific adult cell compartments using these tamoxifen-inducible uh, Cree-ER uh, alleles that are uh, specifically expressed in either acinar cells or uh, duct cells. And uh, we've made a lot of additional progress by combining a lockstop-locks KRAS allele with a lockstop-locks fluorescent reporter. Um, um, uh, these are the MTMG mice. And, um, and that way, this provides, because this is a genomic recombination event, it provides an indelible, heritable mark to cells undergoing KRAS mutation and all of the, their progeny, all of the progeny of those cells. And uh, we've also, we also frequently accelerate the process of pancreatic tumor formation by the induction of chronic pancreatitis, uh, a known 16-fold uh, risk factor for pancreatic cancer in humans and a dramatic um, accelerant of pancreatic cancer uh, formation in the mouse. And we do this with a drug called cerulean. And we've used this system to, over the years to answer a, a number of different kinds of questions that I don't have time to review today. One surprising result is uh, that we found that um, pancreatic acinar cells and not pancreatic duct cells are the most highly efficient cells to generate so-called pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. And it's through notch-driven dedifferentiation events uh, that that occurs. Um, but uh, again, what I'm going to tell you about today is the work we've done uh, investigating which additional signaling pathways uh, drive panin initiation and progression. So by virtue of these uh, activated fluorescent lineage labels, we're actually we're able to fax sort cells um, undergoing KRAS activation, and, um, um, and then on very tightly resolved time courses, look at changes in gene expression, epigenetic reprogramming, the accumulation of other mutations. And in some of our early uh, whole transcriptome profiling of the results of KRAS activation, one of the most highly upregulated genes was the receptor for IL-17, IL-17 being a pro-inflammatory cytokine that's been implicated in a number of autoimmune diseases, including uh, rheumatoid um, arthritis, um, and there are neutralizing antibodies, for instance, to IL-17 and its receptors that are already in uh, clinical, uh, undergoing clinical evaluation. And so we, we took this RNA-seq data and we confirmed it by immunofluorescence staining. There's not much uh, IL-17 receptor expression in, in normal pancreas or when we induce chronic pancreatitis, we start to see some upregulation with this uh, labeling in red when we activate KRAS alone. But when we uh, accelerate pancreatic neoplasia by the concomitant uh, activation of KRAS and induction of chronic pancreatitis, we see this dramatic increase in IL-17 receptor expression. And in fact, when we quantify that by, by facts with IL-17 receptor expression, 
expression here in these GFP positive KRAS active cells, there's uh, a 60-fold increase in the number of cells expressing the IL-17 receptor um, in ne early neoplastic pancreatic epithelium. And we can also demonstrate this in human um, panin. And we know that these receptors are actively transmitting IL-17 signals um, through experiments like this, where we've taken our, our KRAS mice, we've activated KRAS with tamoxifen, um, we've uh, added cerulean and allowed these lesions to progress and form panin, and then we've done very uh, brief across the seven-day window inactivation of IL-17 signaling through administration of these uh, neutralizing antibodies to IL-17 uh, and its receptor. And this is a gene set enrichment analysis that shows uh, the gene, uh, the functional uh, gene sets that undergo the most significant uh, decrease following um, uh, uh, silencing of IL-17 signaling, and you can't, can't read these, but all these arrows point to IL-17-specific gene expression uh, signatures, the role of IL-17 in psoriasis, the uh, role of IL-17 signaling in fibroblast, in gastric cells, et cetera. So uh, early pancreatic neoplasia upregulates expression of the IL-17 receptor, and these receptors are engaged in active signaling. So the obvious question was, what is the cellular source of IL-17 um, in neoplastic uh, pancreas? And uh, we clearly had a lot of potential candidates given the complexity of this fibroinflammatory infiltrate and all the immune cells and inflammatory cells and myeloid cells that uh, accumulate. But we got some early um, uh, clues from an experiment where we did, um, uh, through uh, an unrelated rationale, we um, uh, were asking the question, what is the role, uh, what are the roles of helper T cells in early pancreatic neoplasia? And so uh, we de depleted these cells with, with a, a CD4 uh, antibody, and what we um, found, it was a significant um, decrease in panin formation um, and an increase in the uh, uh, surface area of pancreas that was occupied by normal, normal tissue, uh, suggesting that CD4 positive cells accelerate pancreatic neoplasia. And at the same time, my friend um, Marina Pasca de Magliano at Michigan uh, demonstrated this, this same feature using a genetic approach to delete uh, CD4 cells. And so um, I had a really talented uh, postdoc in the lab who had a background in uh, tumor immunology, Florencia McAllister. She's now an assistant professor at MD Anderson. And this uh, uh, initiated her interest in uh, a, a specialized group of uh, of, of helper T lymphocytes, known as TH17 cells, which are known to be potent producers of IL-17. Um, and uh, they activate IL-17 expression through um, uh, uh, activation of uh, transcription factor known as ROR uh, gamma T. And um, actually, both in TH17 cells and gamma delta T cells, this leads to uh, expression of IL-17. So uh, we could use ROR gamma T expression as a surrogate marker of these uh, T cells in pancreatic tissue. And so um, um, we documented, Florencia documented, a dramatic increase in, the, in infiltrating TH17 and gamma-delta T cells in both mouse and human panin. There's not many of these cells uh, in the absence of uh, neoplasia, um, but when we um, activate a KRAS and we form these, these panin lesions, we get this fairly dense infiltrate of ROR gamma-T positive uh, 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 TH17 cells immediately adjacent to the emerging neoplastic epithelium. And we can see this in, in, humans, uh, in human panin as well and quantified it's, it's quite um, significant. So Florencia obviously wanted to know what, what are these cells and what, what's the consequence of this IL-17 signaling in panin initiation and progression. And so she did both um, gain and loss of function studies, taking both 
a, a pharmacologic and a genetic uh, approach. And uh, first she uh, interrogated the ability of exogenous IL-17 delivered by an adenovirus encoding the cytokine uh, and, and, um, and uh, evaluated its its influence on pancreatic neoplasia, and compared to a control adenovirus encoding luciferase, um, she saw in, in black here this dramatic acceleration in both early panin and, um, and late uh, panin formation. ADM uh, is an abbreviation for what's known as acinar to ductal metaplasia, which is this process by which acinar cells de-differentiate uh, so that they can participate in so-called uh, ductal epithelium. And then, uh, so this told us that IL-17 is capable of accelerating panin formation, but it really didn't uh, implicate a role for endogenous IL-17. And for that, we needed the loss of function study um, and so she did uh, some very ambitious experiments where she lethally irradiated mice genetically programmed to get pancreatic cancer. And then she rescued them with a bone marrow transplant from either a global IL-17 knockout mouse or a, a bone marrow from a, a wild-type mouse. Um, and under the, this genetic loss of Th17 cells, she completely eliminated uh, panin initiation in these mice, and she mimicked this effect. The magnitude was, was less, but uh, panin formation was also clearly um, and significantly inhibited by the long-term administration of these neutralizing antibodies against IL-17. So this is, this is actually a really remarkable result, and it tells us that you can have a whole pancreas of, uh, of cells um, uh, uh, that have undergone activation of oncogenic KRAS, and nothing happens unless you have this cooperating, cooperating signal from adjacent uh, Th17 cells and, and active IL-17 uh, signaling. And again, there are clinical-grade antibodies available, and this now becomes a potential chemoprevention strategy in identified high-risk uh, patients. So just to summarize this part of the talk, we think that acinar cells are the most efficient cell of origin for pancreatic neoplasia. Uh, and under the influence of, uh, of KRAS, whoops, I think there it is. Under the influence of KRAS, these acinar cells activate notch, and they undergo a de-differentiation process that actually, that also includes upregulated expression of IL-17 receptor, and, um, and at the same time, uh, recruitment of Th17, IL-17-producing Th17 and gamma-delta T cells. And it's that IL-17 that's required for uh, initiation of, of, uh, of uh, the neoplastic um, uh, uh, process. We still have lots of questions we're trying to ask about this. Uh, Th17 activation is known to be strongly influenced by the microbiome, and it begs the question, what elements does this imply for uh, the microbiome in the initiation of pancreatic cancer? And in, um, in addition, we, we still don't know whether uh, this is a, a T cell receptor, you know, antigen-directed uh, process. And uh, so Florence is now doing ultra-deep uh, T cell receptor signaling on uh, fact-sorted Th17 cells out of uh, pancreatic tumors to try and uh, clarify that uh, question. So I'll now move on to some uh, human studies. Um, and our work on the neoepitope landscape um, and um, evidence that uh, the immune system isn't always bad in pancreatic cancer, that it might be harnessed for therapeutic good. And the, before I do that, I want to tell you that uh, unlike any, any other major cancer right now, in pancreatic cancer oncology, we lack uh, biomarkers to select patients for specific therapies. Um, and part of this reflects the paucity of targetable activating mutations in pancreatic cancer. We don't have a big group of patients with like, with B, like B, BRAF mutant melanoma or CKIT positive GIST or EGFR mutant um, 
lung cancer, um, we get uh, lots of different mutations and incredible patient-to-patient -patient heterogeneity in terms of targetable mutations. So we have two forms of therapy for pancreatic cancer. One's a combination of gemcitabine and, and uh, taxol, and the other is a four-drug combination known as fulfirinox. And as you can see, there are, are modest uh, two- to three-month increases in survival uh, uh, for patients with metastatic disease when this is given in, in first-line uh, first chemotherapy. There are some patients who... Uh, respond dramatically. And the challenge for our field right now is, like in other tumor types, identifying uh, ra ra rapidly discernible uh, molecular biomarkers to direct patients to different forms of therapy and not treat all pancreatic cancer as if it was exactly alike. So in uh, hopes of pursuing that, we've um, um, in, in, uh, enjoyed having the resources at Sloan Kettering to be able to offer molecular profiling to every one of our pancreatic cancer patients. So we've now, using our in-house panel, uh, sequenced the selected exome um, of, uh, of uh, involving 410 genes and some adjacent introns um, in over 700 pancreatic cancer patients. And we're starting to see some really interesting patterns. This summarizes the first 324 patients. Uh, this is uh, the MSK IMPACT uh, panel, uh, abbreviation for Integrated Molecular Profiling of Actionable Cancer Targets. Few institutions have the scientific skill, uh, the, the, the molecular pathology bandwidth, um, and the, the um, uh, the creativity to come up with their own in-house panel, and it's really exciting that um, that uh, DH um, is is one of those institutions. Um, we, so this sequences all coding exons and selected introns from 410 uh, genes uh, uh, relevant to cancer, and this just shows that we get the typical distribution of mutations that had been previously observed in large multicenter whole exome and whole uh, genome um, efforts. And one of the uh, really important categories that has emerged from this effort is the realization that there is a, 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 a higher than previously appreciated rate of uh, BRCA mutations in patients with pancreatic cancer. Uh, these numbers that add up to about 10% for BRCA1 and BRCA2 um, represent the rate only of somatic mutation. And we think that another at least 10% of patients have germline mutations in uh, BRCA or BRCA-related genes. And so this may be the first um, biomarker uh, that we have available to select uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, subsets of pancreatic cancer patients for targeted therapy. And we've, uh, uh, Eileen O'Reilly, uh, one of my partners in our Pancreatic Cancer Research Center, one of the associate directors and a national and international leader in pancreatic cancer medical oncology, has led a multi-center uh, phase one uh, clinical trial that evaluated gemcitabine, um, cisplatin, um, and uh, dose-escalating uh, PARP inhibitor in patients with metastatic pancreatic cancer. Um, and this uh, uh, shows the, uh, the waterfall plot uh, response rates for, in blue, uh, patients who have a germline BRCA mutation, and in green, those patients who are uh, wild-type in the germline for BRCA uh, uh, one. And even in uh, this phase one trial, Eileen and her colleagues identified a 66% uh, response rate. And um, uh, if you look at the swimmer-type plot, there are patients who are still just on now maintenance PARP inhibitor therapy uh, 24 and 36 months after diagnosis with widespread metastatic disease. So this is really exciting uh, to us. But we've also become interested in how the immune system may be harvested uh, to control human pancreatic cancer and, and ways that we can select, again, subsets of uh, human pancreatic cancer patients uh, to participate in 
immune, immunotherapy uh, evaluation in this disease. And so I also have been really, really privileged to work with Vinod Balachandran, who's an assistant professor at Memorial Sloan Kettering in, in my lab, also a, a tumor immunologist. And Vinod wanted to ask a number of questions. First, are there mutational neoepitopes? Are there coding mutations that generate effective T-cell uh, neoepitopes in human pancreatic cancer cells? Are there T-cells in, in pancreatic cancer that respond to these mutational neoepitopes? And what is the association between mutational neoepitopes, T-cells, and survival? So um, again, we are, we are lucky to have the resources to apply a very ambitious approach where we used um, multiplexed immunohistochemistry and ultra-deep uh, uh, T-cell receptor V-beta uh, sequencing to identify the density and the clonal distributions of infiltrating T-cells, and then RNA-seq and whole exome sequencing to look at this from a molecular point of view. And we chose, uh, in, in hopes of um, identifying principles that might be applicable to a larger group, we decided to first look at very unique a very unique cohort of long-term pancreatic uh, cancer survivors and comparing them to a, uh, a, a cohort of patients with more uh, typical short-term uh, survival. And before I show you the results, I just want to mention that, that traditionally, you know, pancreatic cancer has thought to be a non-immunogenic disease. There have been lots of vaccines uh, that have been evaluated in pancreatic cancer um, uh, with less than remarkable uh, results. Uh, at least in the literature, there are zero reported responses to single-dose immune checkpoint therapy with either nivolumab or IPI um, in patients with metastatic pancreatic cancer. There are anecdotal reports of re responses within the community, and those seem to be limited to the 1% to 2% of pancreatic cancer patients who have an MSI unstable phenotype and thousands of mutations. Um, and historically, pancreatic cancer wasn't thought to uh, be, a, be um, characterized by a heavy burden of mutations that would provide epitopes for these T cells. So pr prior sequencing efforts, uh, again, with different tumor types up here, and, and some tumors, melanoma and lung cancer, achieving many hundreds to a thousand mutations per tumor. Um, pancreatic cancer was uh, thought to be way down here at about one mutation per megabase um, in a manner that um, only occasionally was capable of engaging uh, the, uh, the immune system. But I point out, again, that these large-scale sequencing efforts were plagued by the low cellularity of human pancreatic cancer, and they, they sequenced bulk tumor. And uh, we know from the mutant KRAS allele frequencies that, that were identified in those studies that, um, that this proved to be a, a, a less than sensitive uh, response. So again, the node um, decided to study this in a very unique uh, cohort of uh, long-term pancreatic cancer survivors, 82 patients with a median survival of six years uh, after resection, compared them to a more typical cohort of short-term survivors. And um, these tumors were all pulled from an archival uh, tumor bank that included paraffin and fresh frozen tissue. Uh, they were reevaluated to pathology. Whenever I hear about six-year survival in pancreatic cancer, I, I, I kind of think it, it's a misdiagnosis. And did they really have pancreatic cancer? But sure enough, we know from uh, histologic re-review by expert pathologists and by our sequencing efforts that these are bona fide uh, pancreatic cancers. These were all surgically resected primer, primary tumors with no uh, uh, metastatic lesions involved. None of the patients received um, neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy or radiation therapy, and, the, and, and we were careful to uh, in, in ensure that these were staged match cohorts in, tum in terms of tumor size and nodal status. Um, so 
Um, Vinod um, took, again, the approach of multiplex uh, immunohistochemical uh, labeling, ultra-deep TCR sequencing, whole exome sequencing, um, and whole transcriptome uh, analysis to answer the questions that he was interested in. And um, we uh, collaborated with our immunophenotyping core um, to first look at the simple density of infiltrating uh, T cells in pancreatic cancer. And we did this with a cool technique that I hadn't uh, been exposed to before, which is multiplexed um, non-fluorescent immunohistochemistry involving serial stripping of the chromogen antibody after antibody, um, and then registration uh, guided re-imaging of the tissue, and then compilation pseudocoloring of uh, of the staining pattern. So this looks like immunofluorescence. Um, on uh, we also made uh, tissue microarrays from these series of patients, and we can stain all at once for a whole battery of of markers. And uh, CD CK cytokarin nineteen marks malignant epithelial cells. Um, you know we stain for lymphocyte population. We, we stain for activated cytotoxic T cells using granzyme B. Uh, we can stain for MHC. We can stain for uh, myeloid markers, et cetera. And uh, this is what this staining looks like. This is kind of the range of infiltrating T cell density that we see. And when we look at this more closely, we can see that this technique uh, is really quite ro robust. So um, we, for instance, only only see um, CD8 staining on, on CD3 positive cells, and we only see similarly granzyme B staining on cells that are positive for both CD3 and CD8. So we think the technique is uh, fairly um, ro robust. Um, and so this is what we saw. I'll go into more detail in a moment in terms of the lymphoid population. We didn't see any significant change between the short-term survivors in red and the long-term survivors in blue when we just looked at overall uh, to total um, uh, um, uh, T cells, CD3 positive T cells. We saw a slight uh, increase in Fox uh, P3 positive T regs in the long-term survivors, uh, a slight increase in dendritic cells, and a significant uh, increase in, um, in myeloid uh, cells um, across the short and long-term survivors, and we haven't started looking into the biology of these compartments. But we uh, saw some dramatic changes in T-cell subsets between the short and long-term survivors. So when we look at the uh, number of CD3-positive, CD8-positive uh, um, uh, cytotoxic uh, T cells, we see a threefold increase in the density of these cells in the long term survivors. And when we add um, granzyme B uh, as a co marker of uh, activated cytotoxic T cells, we see a 12 fold increase. So long term survivors are characterized by a dense infiltrate of activated cytotoxic T uh, uh, T cells. And so we wanted to interrogate kind of the clonal uh, pattern of this infiltrate using um, uh, a deep sequencing using the adaptive uh, platform of the uh, TCRV beta uh, sequence, the, uh, one of the specific sequences that undergoes um, recombination and, um, uh, and defines a, 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 a clonal uh, population of, of T cells. And so um, we, we didn't know um, formally whether that increased T cell density was tumor specific or was this just a manifestation of the broader inflammation that was occurring. So we first asked whether the clones that we saw in the, the tumor were specific for the tumor or were they also in just adjacent uh, uh, passively inflamed pancreas. And uh, sure enough, we found that T-cell clones uh, were, were highly unique uh, to the tumor um, as opposed to the adjacent non-malignant pancreas. So in both the short-term survivors and the long-term survivors, 95% of all T-cell clones were unique uh, to, the, to the tumor. So there seems to be uh, uh, an increase in tumor-specific 
um, cytotoxic T cells in long-term survivors. And when we um, looked at the clonal uh, patterns of um, these infiltrates, we uh, also saw that the, the, the tumor uh, T cell repertoire is polyclonal uh, compared to adjacent pancreas. So if we just look at um, the, um, the percent of, of T cell uh, sequence counts as a function of, of all sequence cells, we see, uh, as we did before, that in tumor there's an increased number of, of T cells. But when we look at clonality, uh, a calculation of how many dominant clones uh, versus uh, kind of a random distribution of clones is there, we see on this axis where um, clonality is, is decreased and, 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 and the T cell infiltrate is more polyclonal uh, the lower uh, uh, you are on the y-axis and um, you're m more oligoclonal, uh, less polyclonal, um, have a, a higher degree of clonality as you ascend this axis. And we found that um, uh, by and large the tumor infiltrating T cells always were more polyclonal than um, the T cell infiltrate of the adjacent uh, pancreas. So there's a uh, and when we looked at this in short versus long-term survivors, we similarly saw this trend towards um, increased polyclonality, decreased clonality in the long-term um, uh, survivors. And this was kind of contrary to what some people would propose uh, uh, an, an actively engaged T-cell infiltrate should look like in terms of um, uh, being more oligoclonal and selected against just a few antigens. But that model has largely been developed in animal models that employ uh, a single or small number of, of antigens. And um, uh, we, we think that uh, polyclonality may be a marker of uh, an active immune infiltrate in, 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 in uh, more complicated human tumors. So the question is, what are these T cells reacting to? And so for this, we um, did macro dissection um, uh, to achieve 70% cellularity, markedly enriching for tumor epithelium. And in subsets of short and long-term survivors, we did whole exome sequencing, um, mutation identification, and then in silico neoantigen um, uh, prediction using available um, uh, freeware uh, 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 software platforms to look at uh, whether there was any difference in the number of uh, neoantigens um, um, between short and long-term survivors. And we defined here a neoantigen in, in fairly stringent terms. Uh, we defined it as using a sliding window uh, across the mutation to look at all possible 9-mer peptides. We defined um, a neoantigen as having a binding, binding constant to that patient's sequence known MHC of less than 500 nanomolar, um, a, a fairly stringent definition of neoantigens. And what we found is that, unlike uh, what was previously thought, we, we found a, a, a very significant burden uh, of neoantigens in resected uh, pancreatic cancer. So first of all, we saw uh, twice as many mutations, coding non-synonymous mutations in this disease than had been reported by the big TCGA and ICGC cohorts, I think demonstrating the utility of uh, macro or micro dissection enrichment for the malignant epithelium to appreciate the full uh, uh, repertoire of mutations in these tumors. And on average, in, in blue here, you can see the uh, average number of neoantigens per patient. These two patients almost certainly had an MSI unstable tumor. We know that for sure by a mutation we observed in, in one of them. And all of these mutations, um, all of the sequencing demonstrated the typical uh, spectrum of driver mutations in this disease. Almost all these neoantigens occurred in non-driver passenger mutations that have no known, no known influence on, um, on, on tumor, tumor uh, bi biology. So um, we then asked whether there was any difference in mutation or neoepitope uh, burden between the short and long-term survivors. We'd already demonstrated a more polyclonal 
tumor-specific T-cell infiltrate in the long-term survivors? Was that associated with a higher burden of uh, uh, neoepitopes? And when we looked either at just total uh, uh, non-synonymous mutations, specifically missense mutations, or at um, uh, neoantigens, we saw absolutely no difference between the short and long-term survivors. And that's um, further shown here, where if we compare just by taking the median uh, neoantigen counts and calling the upper half neoantigen high and the lower half neoantigen low, um, we see no difference in survival uh, between these two groups. And then interestingly enough, when we look at just in isolation at T cell abundance, we similarly don't see any difference in survival. This is um, comparing uh, CD3, CD8 high, uh, highly infiltrated tumors with uh, lower levels of, 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 of T cell infiltration. And we see a trend, but it, it really doesn't dichotomize survival. This is a non-statistical difference. And similarly, when we compared the polyclonal high population to the polyclonal low population, we saw um, um, no, no difference in survival between these groups. So neither neoantigen abundance nor uh, the density of, uh, of, of, of T cells um, uh, predicted survival in this disease. Um, what did predict survival was a specific gene expression signature, this cluster 4 um, that we generated by uh, RNA-seq. I'm not going to go into all this other than to say that this cluster 4 is defined by a bunch of pro-inflammatory genes and genes indicative of uh, compensation for an active immune response. PD-1 uh, goes up in, in, in this group of tumors. Um, uh, TIGIT uh, goes up com compared um, to uh, matched normal. And if we look at um, uh, gene expression in the neoantigen high, uh, CD8 high group, or the neoantigen high, um, CD8 uh, high granzyme B uh, positive group, we see that this inflammatory gene expression signature is, is markedly uh, uh, a a amplified um, in the, uh, these, these groups with evidence of uh, a, a high neoantigen burden and T cell activation. So um, the question is then, um, if we combine these uh, features, can we predict survival? And I've showed you that uh, the simple count of neoantigens doesn't stratify survival. Neither does uh, the neoantigen burden combine with a density of, of CD4 uh, positive um, uh, helper T cells. But when we combine neoantigen density um, with um, a, a high uh, density of infiltrating um, uh, CD8 positive cells, we see this dramatic separation in survival. And similarly, when we look at uh, uh, tumors that had a high neoantigen burden and then a high uh, degree of infiltration by activated cytotoxic granzyme B positive cells, we see this dramatic uh, separation. So the question is, why don't all these neoantigens induce this type of immune response. Uh, neoad neoantigen quantity, again, isn't adequate to predict uh, long-term uh, survival. So we wondered if neoantigen quality might be the distinguishing uh, feature. In other disease types, this type of prediction of neoantigen quantity, for instance, predicts response to um, uh, nivolumab in patients with with melanoma or, or lung cancer, but it, it didn't seem to be associated with survival in these uh, pancreatic cancer patients. And we were uh, attuned to increasing uh, uh, interest in the liter literature to um, molecular mimicry, um, to the thought that uh, tumors and normal tissues um, uh, become 
detected by the immune system when they effectively mimic an antigen from a microbial pathogen, including those resident in our own micro. Uh, biome. So this has been known for a, a, a long time for various melanoma uh, a, a antigens that they share um, homology with with various mi microbial uh, and uh, pathogens and commensal bacteria. And similarly, in autoimmunity, the identified reactive antigens uh, have been shown to frequently uh, share homology with. Um, microbial uh, pathogen. So the hypothesis then uh, became um, that neoantigen homology to known microbial antigens might be a surrogate marker for immunogenicity. And so we were lucky enough to be able to work with some really wonderful computational biologists at Mount Sinai, led by Ben Greenbaum. And they came up with two models. One is the quantity model. This is the neoadjuvant lo load model. And this is a, a clonal uh, progression of the tumor. And uh, increasing red is a more heightened immunogenicity. And, and with each accumulation of additional mutations, immunogenicity increases in this model. So the immunogenicity is determined by total neoantigen number in this model. Here is um, a model of neoantigen quality. And specifically, it proposes the presence of immunodominant antigens. Uh, so in spite the ongoing progressive increase in mutations here, it's really a, a single or a small group of mutations that drive immunogenicity uh, determined by immunodominant uh, neoantigens with um, microbial uh, uh, pathogen homology. And so I probably, for the sake of time, won't go into the computation, but we, we basically measured um, uh, peptide homology across a coding mutation um, uh, and compared uh, mutations in these patients' tumors to um, a set of known microbial antigens uh, with known uh, receptor, uh, with known T cell receptor cognates um, that were uh, compiled in the infectious epitope database, IEDB. And so we modeled hom homology, um, we modeled uh, uh, the TCR uh, binding affinity uh, to uh, that microbial antigen, and we looked at the, the ratio by which the wild type. Uh, peptide, the non-mutated peptide versus the mutant peptide um, uh, uh, bound uh, to, to, to uh, a generic TCR. And modeling those two things on different axes, we, we came up with um, a, a marker of, 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 of homo microbial homology cross-reactivity. And when we, we did this, we found that without taking into account any components of the T-cell infiltrate, we saw um, uh, that the group that had high microbial cross-reactivity, um, um, uh, a, a difference in neoantigen quality, um, w survived uh, much longer than uh, the, 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 the patients that had low um, cross-reactivity. And this is um, an extension of median survival by an, an, a number of years in, in, in this group. And all of the patients that had neoantigen high CD8 uh, heavily infiltrated tumors had um, uh, uh, coding mutations that bore homology to these microbial uh, pathogens. So again, neoantigen uh, quality, um, but not neoantigen quantity uh, predicts survival in patients with pancreatic cancer. And the list of pathogens to which these mutations generate homologous peptides is really interesting. There's some rather uh, commonplace uh, things here, um, in, 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 in including uh, EBV uh, virus, influenza virus, some adeno-associated virus. But there's also some really exotic things here, like dengue fever and malaria and yellow fever. And these are microbes to which this population of patients has likely never been exposed. So this isn't about prior exposure, we think. It's about the confines of uh, 
TCR recombination space that have been sculpted by evolution in an ancestral environment where protection against infection was the main function of the um, immune system. Um, and I think I'm going to stop there and not go through all this for the sake of time. Leave it to say that in these long-term survivors, in their peripheral blood, we found T-cell clones that and indeed confirmed them to be reactive to the mutant peptides that have high microbial uh, cross-reactivity. Cross um, and then finally, we generated this data in a highly selected group of you know, extraordinary, are you kidding me, you know, six and eight year pancreatic cancer survivors. And so the question is, does this have any relevance to, you know, the 98% of the pop population that, that doesn't survive long term? And um, so to answer this question, we, um, one, of, one of my former postdocs is the head of the pancreatic cancer effort in the ICGC and was kind enough to share uh, all their sequencing data, 169 patients. We found a similar burden of, uh, of mutational neoepitopes in the ICG cohort of unselected, all with uh, resected pancreatic cancer. And when we applied the microbial homology algorithm to this subset of patients, we again saw uh, a dramatic uh, difference in, in survival, going from about one, one year to uh, uh, more, than, more than two years in the group of patients that had uh, mutations that generated peptides homologous to microbial pathogens. So we think that this um, might be an important observation that guides both um, the application of, of biomarkers uh, as well as uh, 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 the development of future therapies. We think that um, the presence of these mutational neoepitopes homologous to microbial pathogens will help us better select uh, patients for immunotherapy-based clinical trials, uh, but it also might aid in the design of individual uh, personalized peptide vaccines as well as peptide uh, based selection of, of T-cell clones for adoptive um, immunotherapy. So with that, I will again say how much I've enjoyed my now visits um, to, to um, DH and, 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 and Geisel and the college and uh, how excited I am about the, the possibility of joining an already wonderful cancer center here. I'll acknowledge my funding and just again mention uh, the, the people I'm lucky enough to work with, Vinod and Florencia. Thanks again. IL-17 sort of story you yes. talked about first. So when you antagonize IL-17, whether it's in the genetic sort of way you did it or in the other uh, antagonistic methods, and now there's clinical grade antibodies, anti-IL-17 presumably in trial. Right. My question is you can show decreased panning production, right? But then the, in, if, you have the, if you look at the actual patients, they're going to progress on to cancer. Yes. And we're going to treat them presumably yes. with an anti-IL-17 strategy. Yes. Do you see strange changes in the stroma? I mean, the desmoplastic reaction you talked about, is the stroma yeah. changed? So we, 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 the protocols are being developed. Um, uh, there's another group that weighed in on this, a group from Japan, that showed that in uh, invasive, late-stage human pancreatic cancer, that IL-17 receptor expression predicted poor survival. Um, and so uh, based on that human data, even, even more than this mouse data, clinical trials are being uh, 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 proposed um, to evaluate the neutralizing antibodies against IL-17. 17 in human patients. And that'll be a fascinating question whether, as you allude to, that reprograms the, the stroma uh, uh, to perhaps even a less, a less immunosuppressive microenvironment that might then be augmented by the positive kind of immune uh, uh, surveillance that, that we think goes on. Or perhaps also that the chemotherapy would maybe really yep. work better in those patients. Yep. That there'd be higher penetrance of chemotherapy without this stromal barrier. To, in, to, to infiltration. The second question I have is related to the immunotherapy. First of all, really, you're, certainly your background, what you've done, dovetails with, as everyone here knows, Dartmouth-Hitchcock or Dartmouth Medical School's long-standing sure. you know, experience with immunotherapy. So it's great to have someone who also speaks that language or can... Is learning that language. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my question is, I'm like, all, that, all those studies that you guys did down at Memorial, those are all on resected primary tumors? Yeah. So the question is, like, people, I mean, you talk to someone, patients don't usually die of the resected primary tumor, right? Sure. They're dying from metastatic disease. So sure. the question is, do you see the same 
whether it's looking at tills, whether it's the, the immunophenotype in the metastatic lesion, is it the same? Yeah. That, those are fantastic, amazing carved out survivors right. you have. Right. That curve does go down. So yeah. there is a median survival that's what, six years or something? Amazing. Yeah. But some people do recur, right? Absolutely. Most of them recur. Recurring with metastatic disease. Yeah. So the question is, in the, the patients who are dying of metastatic disease, how could you assess that because you don't have biopsies really? Yeah. And then are you, is someone looking at that? Are you looking at Yeah, no, we're just sorry. So we just got our, a, a, a really important protocol um, approved. Um, uh, you know, in pancreatic cancer, unlike in a, a melanoma sitting there on your arm, it, it, it's almost unheard of to get serial um, pre- and post-treatment biopsies. And um, we now have uh, IRB approval for a mini laparoscopy approach for pre- and post-treatment biopsies of uh, patient, selected patients with accessible liver metastasis. And um, we're uh, going to be applying this type of analysis to those yeah. tissues. And then we're also, um, we'll have access to whole exome sequencing data from uh, uh, this PANCAN Precision Promise clinical trial to see if, um, in the metastatic disease setting, if um, if the presence of these types of mutations predict response to immuno immunotherapy. So all that, you're exactly right, remains to be determined. Yeah, one, one last. You've got a, you've got a profile, you've got these pathogenic epitopes. It's not a comprehensive list because you don't know how many pathogens might have set up the immune system historically. Sure. If you took the pancreas tumors you've got now and looked at long-term survivors and short-term survivors, <coughs> could you stratify the neoantigens from doing that? Um, and what would you get out of that? So you, would you propose that the long-term survivors that the mutations in the long-term survivors were enriched for these types of neoepitopes yes, yes. and in an unbiased kind of agnostic way, you know, took those epitopes and, and, and hypothesized that they were homologous to epitopes previously encountered by the ancestral human immune right, system. Before you established the hypothesis in that regard, yeah. and so it's a matter of whether or not you'd be able to find yeah, no, I think I, I think I understand your question. All, all we've shown is selected mutations have homology to only a, a finite list of uh, microbial antigens that have recognized, you know, T-cell, TCRs um, that react against them. So we, we may be missing the larger set of relevant um, neoepitopes. I think your point's well taken. I think the fact that this dichotomizes survival so well argues against um, uh, the argument that there might be a lot of those, you know, uh, uh, that, that weren't in the IEDB. Um, but that's a really interesting idea. I, I need to think about it more. Thank you. So we would better stop